0: New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, It's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com/slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC.
1: Show and our latest foray into the listener questions mailbag. Today we're exploring Club World Cup alternatives, Man City relegation scenarios, agent fee rules, and much, much, much more. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who loves a Man City relegation scenario as much as the next man who doesn't love Man City very much, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. <laughs>
0: it was a fun thing to contemplate until I realized that they're still going to be quite good. Uh, that, that's my spoiler alert for that, for that question. But yes, I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed the, the questioner the most in that question. The question at the most in that question. Oh, I see what you've done there. We'll Dr. Get to that Toboggan.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Indeed. Uh, fun times ahead. Joining us, Taylor, a man who's demanded changes to the Club World Cup in our latest weekend review a couple of days ago. Joe Lowry, the floor is yours in this episode to reinvent it. I look forward to your thoughts <laughs> and for you to present them to FIFA in a timely manner.
2: Yeah, everyone's going to be disappointed with, with what I have to say on that question. I'm genu- and I'll say this later in more detail and probably with more words, but my general thesis is it's kind of impossible to do it in a way that makes sense and also is fun and normal. So, I guess good job to f- soccer for having too many games that you can't play these extra games. Ryan, this is hard.
1: And therein lies the answer to fixing the Club World Cup. <laughs> It is to scrap it. Uh Joining us, a man who uh, went to something called Bonnie Rig Rose and he ate a pie this week. Graham Rutherford, hello.
3: Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yes, it was Valentine's Day, so I decided to go to Bonnie Rig Rose, see of what course. I did there, see what I did there. Yep. I had a good time. Pies were good. It wasn't like East Fife and Sterling Albion scored a 90th minute winner. I'm not convinced we're very good at the moment. Bonnie Rig Rose are bottom of the table, and we should definitely not be relying on 90th minute winners to beat them, but nonetheless, I had a good time.
1: <laughs> did, did you? Um, it sounds like a team that's named after a sea
3: shanty or something. Uh, where is Bonnie Rig Rose in the world, Graham? Uh, so Bonnie Reg is about ten miles outside Edinburgh. It's essentially where I live. So I live oh, in Newton Scotland's Marins, first 10- city. Right, yeah, that's <laughs> the one. That's
1: the one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Graham put up a very good video on Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show of his adventures <laughs> at this game when he should have been doing something more Valentine's Day related, or maybe even watching Champions League. Yes, he was indeed watching. What's that
3: um, Champions League? Never heard it's, of it.
1: it's the thing that's going to get replaced by European Super League in a season or two's time you'll uh, or Jaws we'll, we'll club catch World Cup.
0: On indeed yeah, right if we, um, yeah Ryan if we found out at the end of the season that Graham had just been consistently making up new Scottish clubs <laughs> and just <laughs> waiting to see if we ever called him on it and we never did would you be surprised because this is I think the second time now that we've had Graham say a, a team or a city where we were sort of yeah. confused as to their existence I don't think Scotland actually plays soccer
1: at all he's Kai's associating us on a big level here that's my Suggestion, but we'll uh, we'll get to that denouement at some point i imagine taylor uh, to, uh Graham, my favorite part of the video that you put up was uh swearing not so much under your breath at the penalty <laughs> desk very enjoyable
3: um yeah so i did not realize that was in the video until i had posted it and watched it back and then went ah it's one in the morning i'm not going to go back and change that so yeah it's the patreon anything goes anything goes mm. to the patreon
1: Patreon after dark. Join in uh, with Graham's uh, trip to Scotland, uh, or trip around Scotland, (laughs) trip in the middle of Scotland. I don't know what I'm saying. Go look at our Patreon. It's a lot of fun. Uh, And a lot of fun to be had with these listener questions today. Thank you to everyone who has submitted TotalSoccerShow.com slash questions if you would like to do the same thing as Dr. Mantis Toboggan. Dr. Mantis Toboggan, who (laughs) asks if Man City were deducted every point they've gotten this season and had to start today with zero points, could they stay up? Okay, so we're recording this episode a matter of hours before Man City play Arsenal, so this scenario could change a little bit. But Taylor, um, Mm -hmm. before I let you get excited about Always Sunny references that Mm -hmm. we've had in that name... Man City are on 48 points as we record, 16 games remaining, which meaning there's 48 points on the table. So technically, yes is the answer here. They can do it because the average to stay up in the Premier League is around 37.5 points. That Mm 40-point mark is what you want to hit. So if they win every game from here on out, if they were deducted all their points from now,
0: yes is the answer. But were it that simple, Taylor? I mean, you've kind of answered it, because it kind of is. Uh, My my answer is, I think they probably would. Uh, I have them picking up a fair number of points. I had them drawing at Arsenal, home to Newcastle, home to Arsenal, and home to Chelsea. I had them losing at Brighton. That gives them, I think, around 37 to 40 points. That puts them comfortably ahead of Southampton and Bournemouth. And then it's up to uh, who can be worse from Everton, Leeds, and West Ham. Feels like it really is an open race there. My money would be on either Leeds or West Ham at this point. Uh, but I think with that in mind, Man City getting around 37 to 40, I think that puts them, it's annoying that you said 37 and a half, and I think my calculation was 37 exactly, so now I don't know what to think, other than that Dr. Mantis toboggan is the doctor we all need, who knows that if you want this young man to live, you're going to have to give him aspirin, a roll of duct tape, a bag of peanuts, and four beers. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Graham, any advance on that, uh, the reference, or the
1: question itself?
3: I don't have anything to add to the <laughs> reference. That that was that was perfectly done by, by Mr. Rockwell. In terms of the question, I tried to apply some uh, mathematical logic to it. So City have 48 points from 22 fixtures so far this season. That gives gives them a points per game average of 2.18. Ooh. They have 16 fixtures left to play in the Premier League this season. So if they were starting on zero now, and we round it up a little bit, they get 35 points between now and the end of the season. Then if we look at Everton and Bournemouth, they are in 18th and 19th place. Um, and then look at their points per game ratio. If they can continue at their current rate, they'll finish on 31 points, which is a little bit lower than you would expect. You know, they, you mentioned that the average there, Ryan, is what, like 35, 37? And obviously there's the old cliche that 40 points gets you safe yeah. in the Premier League. If the if the bottom three continue or the teams around the bottom continue at their current rate, it'll be less than 40 points that will, will keep you safe. So when I get 35 points from City's sums, I thought, no, they they wouldn't. Uh, sorry, they would stay up because uh, because of the teams at the bottom of the table not being very good this season. That's right. It has been low as 33 that's kept you up in some
1: seasons, as high as 42 as well. Joe, uh, for this question, it seems that City could... They've already lost four games. They could maybe lose three and get away with it here, right?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think they've got, honestly, plenty of cushion. Not- none of this is going to happen, right? And it's fun to think about this stuff after we talked about on the big thing last week about City being relegated. And that's always a fun thought experiment to think okay, what if this team was sort of given some sort of handicap? How much better than the worst teams in, their le- in the league could there actually be? I think it's a fun thought exercise. I also had City probably being fine. I, I went through their games and gave them 36 points. The, the remaining games gave them 36 points. But I was being, I think, a little bit harsher than I probably needed to be. I think they'll end up with more than that over the remaining 16 games of the season in the last seven years. 36 points has been enough to get you at least a 17th in the Premier League table. So it's been enough to get you out. So I know, you know, that, that 40 point mark that you mentioned there, Graham, has been something that's frequently, uh, espoused in this, in this context. But really, I think we're maybe seeing teams get better at the top of the Premier League and take consistently more points off of the teams at the bottom. I don't know exactly what the reasoning for that is, why it's been under 40 for so many years now, why the total may be even lower this year. But that is my working theory that maybe the best of the best are just better than the best of the best used to be, which makes it harder to be a team at the bottom.
1: Is there any chance that Man City actually gets points deducted this season? Or do we think, Taylor, that it's going to happen for next season
0: as a as a start on negative numbers kind of thing? The only way I could see it happening is if that was part of the sort of, like, for lack of a better way of putting it, slap on the wrist punishment, of if they agreed to, look, we're not going to win the title, uh, but a... Sixteen point deduction would take us out of the Champions League places, so we are getting a fifteen point deduction. Like that's the only way I could see it happening is if they were uh, accepting it, settle uh, as if it was part of a settlement for this season. Short of that, I think they're going to fight uh, as much as they possibly can. We talked about them having a banner for their lawyer. Uh, It does feel like this is going to be a prolonged thing where Man City will try to just kind of wear the Premier League down and I think come away as clean as they can. So I don't think we're going to see a deduction this season short of it being part of a settlement that everyone sort of is okay with. It
3: it already feels like City are wearing down the Premier League because I'm sure I saw it reported earlier this week that the Premier League has had to clarify or relodge some of their charges because there were errors uh, pointed out to them by Manchester City's lawyers, which already feels like that the case is potentially coming crumbling down around the, the, the Premier League. I can see yeah. Manchester City marching in there with their hundreds of lawyers, uh, like the scene in The Matrix where Agent Smith just kind of multiplies into about 20. That's going to be Manchester City's
0: legal team as they take down the Premier League in this regard. Yeah, a fleet <laughs> yes, exactly. I made this comparison previously. I will say it again. If you haven't seen The People vs. O.J. Simpson, it is an excellent miniseries. But in there, they lay out as part of the defense that they are going to contest everything. And that is exactly what it feels like you're talking about, Graham. I think for O.J., it was contesting the number of hairs pulled for DNA analysis. Why do you need so many? That seems abusive. That seems uh, like like, uh, like 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 unhuman. And I feel like that's what Man City are going to do. Like Typos. You have typos in this legal briefing? That can't be allowed. to to exist it just feels like they're going to battle every single step of the way to make this a nightmare for the Premier League and also to make it cost prohibitive that eventually Mm. if you keep having to refile and rewrite and redraft those legal fees are going to go up and there comes a point when I think Man City can afford that maybe the Premier League can but won't want to is that the series that David
3: Schwimmer plays Robert Kardashian yes I think of the right one yes Uh, you are Great casting. I wonder who he's going to play in the series of this, Man City versus <laughs> Premier League. Ferran Soriano.
0: He's going to be Ferran Soriano. Wh- whoever's Mopey, I guess. I do like David Schwimmer, <laughs> yeah. though. Let's get him in there. Could, could could we get him, in um, junior too. let Let's have him in there. Why not? He could shave the head and go
1: method and go pep. What do you think? <laughs> <David Schwimmer, laughs> I to see that. pep
3: guardiola.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs>
1: we were on a break from doing correct financial things. <laughs> anyway, um...
0: There you go, there
1: you Thank you very much. This is the club Man City, after all, who did say they would spend, rather spend 50 million pounds uh, tying up UEFA for for the next 10 years than actually pay a fine to
0: them. So I think we're going to
1: uh, understand their mentality in this but man,
0: issue. Man, Erling Holland in the championship, that would be a sight to behold. Pep Guardiola managing in the championship. Man over, City away to Barnsley. Let's make it happen.
2: Over, under, 54.5 goals for Holland in the championship. Over. Yeah,
1: (laughs) Good stuff. Uh, Thank you very much, Dr. Mantis Devonga, for that question. I'm sure you wrote that from inside a sofa or floating in the ocean with a rum ham. We will never know. But thank you very much. Scott Goodhart has been in touch. You talked about the Club World Cup this week and touched on its future plans. How would you fix the competition if you were in charge? by burning it to the ground is the correct answer but let's go round the horn on this one anyway currently the format with seven teams the six confederations represented plus a host uh, next year it's going to be hosted in Saudi Arabia because of course uh, the expansion plans have been touted multiple times in 2019 there were plans for it to go to a 32 team structure a summer tournament an idea in 2021 was floated for 24 teams and to replace the confederations cup as well uh, the latest missive from FIFA last december uh this most recent december was that in 2025 it is going to go to 32 teams and a summer tournament uh four places for asia four places for calf four for conquer calf six for condom one for oceana poor oceana 12 for uefa and the host as well graham fix it now
3: Oh, I'm not sure I can. I'm actually Googling the Confederation's Cup because it's just dawned on me that there wasn't one before the 2022 World Cup, and I'm now wondering whether they've just scrapped it without yeah, actually you telling You missed anyone. it so
0: much that now you want the Club World Cup to go in its place. That, yeah. That's what <laughs> so, they're doing, Graham. They're starving you so that you want it.
3: I prefer the Confederation's Cup over the Club World Cup. I mean, Ryan, you joked that it should be burnt to the ground, but my first note is, get red, burn all evidence. Um, so... <laughs> Maybe we're onto something there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with Joe and I feel like this might be his, his segment here, so I'll pass the mic quickly. But <laughs> I'm honestly not sure you can fix the Club World Cup as long as there's such a wide gulf between the European teams and the rest of the world. So 2012 was the last time a non-European team won the competition. And then before then it was 2006. So it doesn't happen very often at all. And it's, and it's not just the gulf between the European teams and, and the rest of the world. It's actually the gulf between the South American, the common ball teams and, and the non-European teams as well. And I, that gulf is just so big. I'm I'm not even sure what the competitive point of having them play each other is. So if we were to have a club World Cup, I would actually go back to the way it used to be with the Intercontinental Cup, where it was just. Do you remember that that game we had the international game? It's called like La Final Misa, yeah, that one, which is the no. uh, Copa America, <laughs> <laughs> the Copa America winners against the the uh, the Euros winners uh, as Italy versus Argentina at Wembley. That used to be a thing in, in club soccer as well. So you would have the winners of the Copa Libertadores playing the Champions League winners, and it was just a one-off game, and that was what the competition, competition was up until 2004. And it meant you got a, re- a relatively competitive match, and then that was it. It was over quickly; everyone could go home. And if I remember correctly, the man of the match in the old Intercontinental Cup was sponsored by Toyota, and they gave the man of the match a car, which they drove <laughs> out at full time. Nothing oh. says prestige like a Camry. So let's uh, let's bring that back as well to the to the, for the Intercontinental Cup.
1: I like it. I want to do that one. I, I fear, to, uh, Joe, that FIFA might not want to do that one because it's two teams instead of 32.
2: I, I, that is a problem here, isn't it, if you're FIFA? I think that might be a little bit of a limiting factor for them. There, There is no great way to do this if we're leaving other competitions as they are, right? That's where we have to start when we're talking about the Club World Cup and, and trying to have any sort of realistic outlook on what could actually kind of work and maybe be fun. I, I think, conceptually, having a Club World Cup is fun. I think it's a fun idea... And it could be a fun tournament. I have nothing against the concept. The challenge is that if you're going to expand the format, or even as it is now, like if you're going to expand, it's too many games. It's, there's already too many soccer games. There's already too much soccer. I feel like I say that all the time. At a certain point, we will be saturated. Right? We're, seeing, we're going to see more and more players pull a Rafael Varane and retire from the international game or retire from something Because they're burnt out because they're playing too much. They're playing too many games. They're playing too many minutes. It's unsustainable. And at a certain point, we're going to get to that stage where it becomes blindingly obvious that that's true for us. I don't expect that FIFA will ever care about that. And if I were in their position trying to make as much money as possible, that is not your chief concern in a lot of different ways. So that's the problem with, with expanding it. The problem with keeping it as it is now is, is that stat that we talked about on, on Monday. It's that every single time the European team wins, it's, it's a farce of a competition as it stands now. It's, it's fun and there are valuable elements of it. Like I, I do genuinely think that Seattle making it and, and playing in a game was notable and, and was a valuable moment for soccer's development in the U.S. and to give them more experience and, and having that pathway is good. But I mean, it, it just felt, cheap a little bit and it felt short and it felt a bit silly i i cannot think of a way to make this tournament better with everything else being how it is now if 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 you are able to suspend reality there are fun ways to do this like expand it a ton do a a, do a march madness style tournament so that the variance is as high as possible and maybe you have a chance of knocking off a couple european teams and, and making a run if you're a team from south america or north america or asia africa wherever that could be fun. Maybe you just expand the I mean expand it out massively and you hold it anywhere outside of Europe, maybe somewhere in in our sort of chunk of the world in North America or Central or South America so that the European teams have to travel, but like I mean at the end of the day, for the foreseeable future, the European teams are going to have the most money. They're going to be the best and 99 times out of 100, they're going to win stuff like this.
0: Taylor, your thoughts on this one? I've got a solution. Oh, it's chaos, and I'm excited about it. So I think uh, a couple things. I'm one in. of the one of the problems with the Club World Cup, as Graham talked about when we were discussing it on the Weekend Review, is that it's 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 it gets lost in the shuffle. It's hard to find. It's hard to watch. You might not even be able to watch it because some of the games might not be on television. And for it to be called the Club World Cup and have very limited viewing. I don't know if that quite has the same sort of connection there. I don't know if you can call it a World Cup and then be like, oh, but we don't know what channel it's on or when it's being broadcast. And we know one of the teams that's going to win it every single time. So I think right there, that's a problem. I think the idea of having it in the summer is real, real dumb. Uh, Like, how are you going to have an expanded World Cup in the year of a World Cup? So you're going to have the Club World Cup and then a month later the World Cup will start. What happens when people get injured? How much does that distract from one competition or the other? I think it's very foolish to put it in the summer. So uh, to Joe's point, we got to break some rules here. We're going to change some things. FIFA is going to implement a mandatory three-and-a-half-week break or so at the beginning of December. Every league has to take that break. We'll get you back in time for Boxing Day so uh, the Premier League doesn't about lose to its mind. I was about to say. I was, <laughs> I was close take to being out take there, Taylor. Boxing Day away. See? I, I know. I know how this works. But we're going to do a winter break, and these will be the only games that are happening. This will be the only tournament. So then if you want to watch football, you have to watch the Club World Cup expanded to 16 clubs. We will still have every uh, confederation winner will be there. So that's six spots automatically. That leaves 10 spots. Here's where the chaos comes in. It's all nomination and voting at this point. Oh, the chaos hasn't and, come in yet. Okay, sorry. Go oh yeah, on. and it's and it's. Oh yeah. No, the, the chaos is basically it's it's like uh, similar to the Pushkash Award where you get a bunch of different nominees and then we all kind of vote on who should go. So, like the year that Leicester win the Premier League, that feels like this momentous achievement. They're on the ballot to be voted into the Club World Cup, and so you get teams that have overperformed or done big things. If you get a team that. If, if Wigan makes it to the FA Cup final and loses, we still send Wigan. In. And then we, we are basically having the six winners, but then also the teams that feel like they achieved the most, that like had these prestigious accomplishments that maybe didn't get the credit they deserved. So we're putting them into the Club World Cup where they could have a little bit more eyes on them. But if you have nothing else happening except for this tournament, you've got everybody watching, the money will be there. I think teams will care about it. It gives everybody else a break. Uh, and so in that way, you are resting most of the players in the world World while putting eyes on a few clubs in particular that is my solution uh i solved it you're welcome gianni and so so
3: you're leaving this up to public vote yeah. voting
0: right mm-hmm. oh we're cool. definitely gonna get a boat always... vote face in there i'm i'm down for <laughs> it yeah
3: yeah public voting always goes well you always end up with the best yeah. results out of public voting so <laughs> yeah sure. yeah Cl-
1: club world cup cloud what club face it will be cold <laughs> <laughs> um we've all missed the genuine solution here which is to have the Club World Cup played 24-7 for the rest of time in the metaverse, in Roblox or something like that. That way FIFA can make their coin, kids can enjoy it, Uh, on their iPads or with their headsets or whatever the young kids do today with their Pac-Man video
0: games. That bummed me out significantly. (laughs) That suggestion made me like 10% sadder than I already was. Thanks, Ryan. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) But
1: then it it clears it off the real world plate, Taylor, and still has a product that FIFA can make money from. Is that not a solution?
0: (laughs) I mean, it is. It's just like, they're a non-profit, right? I just want to get that out of the way. FIFA Uh non-profit. Yep. uh Okay, uh cool. uh Cool,
3: cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Let's just ask ChatGPT to decide a Club World Cup winner every year and it'll just take a matter of seconds and then we can just move on with our lives. There we go. We're really getting to the heart of this one. I think we've solved this
1: question. Thank you very much, Scott, for submitting. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about World 11s of young'uns and old'uns. Back shortly.
0: New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cashback. even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card and yes i said debit card with discover cashback debit everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases look in sports it's hard to predict who is taking the win but you know what's guaranteed to win discover cashback debit oh and did i mention there are no fees period i'm telling you this one it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit, Discover Bank.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Listener Question Summit. I'm calling it a summit now because there's four of us and we're putting the world to rights, if that's okay. Guy Edweb <laughs> has been in touch. Wouldn't over 32 world best 11 beaten an under 19 best 11? Where would the two teams place in the top five leagues? After all, we know they're basically locked to make the new MLS playoffs because, hey, aren't we all? So, uh, Joe, this is an interesting question, I think. Innocence versus experience. I get the sense, if we look at this from a tactical perspective, the over-32s would have good control of the game, good experience of running a game, but the 19s would literally run them ragged. So I suppose it depends on who you'd pick for the over-32s and how well they could retain the ball. Is that
2: Yeah. Yeah. I like that angle, Ryan. I think... The problem with an old team, and this is, I think, more relevant for the league standings than it is necessarily for this matchup. The problem with the old team is that they're old, right? <laughs> is that they're gonna be, they're gonna be more yep. injury prone. They're not gonna hey, be Joe? as fast. Yeah. What's up, Taylor? Shut up. Yeah. All right. so, <laughs> uh, so I think the over thirty twos in this matchup are going to absolutely entirely dominate the U19s like it it will be not close at all I mean in in soccer we're I mean we're talking about 3-0 but there is I I can't express like how big I think this gap is between the best 33 and up players in the world and the best 18 and under players in the world I think it is like this monumental divide we're talking about Messi Lewandowski Luka Modric Tony Kroos uh, Busquets Jordi Alba I didn't go through the full list but I mean, you can build an insanely good team. All right. Graham's got the team. So I, I think the over 32s would, would clap the under 19s. There is under 19 talent out there. Uh, Mokoku's a, a really good striker for, for Dortmund. We saw a 16 year old play for PSG in the Champions League yesterday, which I'm sure we'll talk more about their game against Bayern Munich on tomorrow's show. But I, I think this would be a full on thwacking from the 32s.
1: Okay, I, I'm inclined to agree, Joe. Graham, where do you sit on this one?
2: Okay, so I built two teams
3: to try and yes. determine the outcome yeah, of this. So my over 32-11 is Manuel Neuer and goals, uh, Kyle Walker, Thiago Silva, Giorgio Chiellini, just to annoy Ryan Bailey, Shut up, uh, <laughs> Jordi Alba, Bored Sergio Busquets, Luka Modric, Ilkay Gundogan, and then front three of Messi, Benzma, and Angel Di Maria. And then my under-19s team is a little bit trickier in defence <laughs> than yes, goals it so, <laughs> yes it is my goalkeeper is Gagas Lonina um, yep. it's who I went for right back Maio Gusto just signed for Chelsea centre back Scalvini who's playing a lot for Atalanta at the moment other centre back Castello Lucaba who's playing for Lyon and has been linked to the Premier League left back Alex Baldy playing for Barcelona my midfield is Romeo Lavia plays, playing for Southampton then it's names that people will be a little bit more familiar with uh, Jude Bellingham Gavi Jamal Musiala Benjamin Sesco who plays for Uh, Red Bull Salzburg and then uh, Makoko of course at Dortmund I still think the over 32 team wins this quite convincingly I am with Joe, I think if we had adjusted this to over 34 and under 21 then maybe my answer might have been different Mm -hmm. but 32 really isn't that old anymore in elite level soccer do you know who is nearly 32 apart from me? Uh, Kevin De Bruyne Oh. He is 31. And that blows my mind a little bit because it feels like Kevin De Bruyne is still, I would have placed Kevin De Bruyne about 28 years old. So the fact he's, he's 31, almost 32 kind of blows my mind. But yeah, I think the 30, the over 32s win this one.
1: Yeah, uh, it sounds like uh, named on, on listening to those teams, Graham, I would certainly agree with you. Taylor, did you do any teams? I, I bet you did a team, didn't you? I did.
0: I, I had yeah. pretty much all the same names as Graham, though. I did put, uh, uh, J- is it Joe? Yeah, Job Bellingham in there as well. Didn't know Jude had a brother, but he does. He's 16. He, he's a central midfielder. Let's get him. Is in he a magician? <laughs> uh, yes, he is. <laughs> that's part of why he's so good. Um, okay. But but yes, I agree overall. I think the over thirty twos would win. I don't think that's just my over thirty two bias. I think it's the case for me that at amateur level, at least. I would always rather play a team, especially in indoor. I would rather play a team of like fit and fast teenagers than a group of slightly overweight 30 year olds, especially if those 30 year olds have played together for like five or six years, because they are going to retain the ball, Ryan, to your point. They have better match intellig- intelligence. They know how to slow it down. They know how to bunker really well, always. For some reason, those teams know how to just sit and frustrate, and I do feel like match intelligence would be a big part of it. Guile and trickery would be a big part of it, knowing how to kind of use the hot-headedness of the of the U19 team against them. I, I think there's a lot of, of reason why not just the physicality, but I think the match intelligence uh, and experience would come to play. So yeah, I, mm. I, I think it's, it's over-32s winning, and I think over-32s would probably be I disagree with Joe a little bit. I think they'd be near the top of most leagues. I don't know if they're in the Champions League, but I think they're going to be up there especially if we have limitless 32 year olds so if you do have one of them get injured or 33 year olds then you can just have another one come in we'll be fine there i think the the u19 team the 19s would be a lower mid-table like team in most leagues maybe around mid-table except in the premier league where i do think they would struggle with some of the physicality
1: okay and i think maybe taylor there'd also be some leadership issues on the under 19s as well wouldn't there because let's let's be honest People who are teenagers are dumber than people who are in their Jib 30s. Jude Bellium,
3: right? man. Jude yeah. Bellium is, is a, a, a leader beyond his years. Okay. I think he's the leader of that team, okay. to be honest.
1: Fair enough. And maybe there's too many leaders in the over-32s, so maybe that um,
0: counterbalances it. Um, that is, oh, man, that's a Graham, so in your, in your team, the 11 you created, who is the captain, who is the, the leader?
3: Job. Oh, undoubtedly Jude Bellingham. I've, I've kind of lost where my team... Yeah, uh, no, in the th- order in the, team the, moment, team, the veteran it. team, who would it be? Oh, the, the veteran team. Tough one. Thiago Silva?
0: Yeah. Silva or Manuel Neuer when he's not
3: skiing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, and if it can't be Neuer, it's Kaylor Navas, by the way. Ryan, to answer your question about what happens uh, when uh, Neuer gets injured, it's Kaylor Navas steps in. Thank you very much. Um... Uh, uh,
1: Joe, any thoughts on where these teams would place in Europe's top five leagues?
2: Yeah, I think the over 32s would qualify for the Champions League in all of them. The Premier League is the one that gives me the most pause here. But I I mean, the talent is is so, so good. It's hard for me to tell how they would fare over the course of a season. But we kind of just like smushed Madrid, like Real Madrid and PSG together here. And those teams <laughs> tend to do pretty good in the league. So <laughs> I, I, think they'll, I think they'll be all right. And the U19s, I mean, it's... It's a good squad. There are weaknesses in the squad. I don't know that that team is going to, I don't think they're qualifying for the Champions League. I would not be surprised to see like a, a mid-table to potentially Europa Conference League qualification from that group. It's, it's a good group that you guys built. There's a lot of talent there. I just think, I don't think they're going to hold a candle to the over-32s.
1: All right. I think we are, um, we've reached a consensus on that one, Guy. Thank you very much for your question. Uh, Keyless Seiden has been in touch. Hey, Kenneth. Do you think the incoming rule changes on agent fees are going to affect change? Will this help clubs who are currently having financial difficulties or is it simply going to inflate transfer fees? So FIFA have introduced a cap on transfer commissions and the introduction of a mandatory exam for agents. So basically agents will have to have a qualification now. So under the new rules, agents can take a maximum 3% commission for any transfer above $200,000 and 5% for deals under $200,000. That's on gross salary and a max of 10% income on gross transfer fees as well. There's a few other little rules like a ban on family members getting commission if they're not licensed agents. Sorry, everyone's dad who's an agent at the moment. You're going to have some difficulties going forward um the fees paid by clubs for the services of intermediaries in 2022 were 623 million dollar dues that's quite a lot of dollar dues Graham. what do we think about these new rules
3: um i think it could have an impact at a lower level where agents will direct at lower level, it feels like that it's more common for agents to direct uh, you know, certain players towards certain clubs, and those clubs will have an existing relationship with, and in the past, they may have gone to certain clubs where they know they would get a, 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 an additional agent fee, so maybe at a lower level, it might have an, an impact. At the elite level, though... I think we'll just see agents taking more of their fee from the player directly rather than from the club, so there's no cap on what players can receive as a signing fee. And so I think we'll see agents inserting clause in the contracts they hold with the their players to pull their fees that way. I, I assume that all that clauses already exist to that effect, but I think agents will essentially that's where they will make their money is directly from their client. Um what I actually think has changed here. Is transparency, or 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 the removal of transparency. So I think this will will result in a in a lack of transparency because previously clubs would disclose how much agents were being paid. Hence, how we know that six hundred million dollars was was paid to agents in twenty twenty two, and now I think all of that will be hidden behind the player. So I don't know if it will inflate transfer fees, but I think it could inflate the, the overall financial package of transfers. It's just
0: that we won't really know. How that, what the makeup of those deals are. I do think part of it is that now agents are required to make all transactions public. That's part of the, the new rules that I read, which will allow us to see what they're paid for deals. Uh, payments to agents will be issued by the FIFA Clearinghouse. So there's sort of theoretically an independent panel that will be responsible for accounting for all of these fees and sort of making sure that everything is above board. And I think that also relates to the the new mandatory licensing system, uh, You can't have Oh, you can't like represent multiple interests at once in these negotiations. So I think there are attempts to limit and attempts to sort of make things more transparent. But I share Graham's concern that I think oftentimes when you try to make things more clear by more clearly spelling them out, you just open up new avenues to new loopholes. Yeah. And I think agents will get very good at finding new loopholes and new ways to get around these things. I also think there's a chance that what this means is that we might just see players more frequently pushing for new deals because agents will get caps or will get commissions on those new deals, on those Mm -hmm. new contracts. And so I could see a scenario in which an agent says, you know, hey, you played in 85% of games this season and you were only expected to play in half of half the games and you scored like the most goals you've ever scored. You should be getting a new deal. You've only got four years left, but the wages don't reflect your current value. And I can see a lot more sort of uh, like initiation or instigation of new contract demands and that sort of thing to either force new transfers where you can then get more money or – to get more commission off of those contracts, I can just see lots of new waves. I think agents are always going to find ways to make money. Uh, they contested this heavily. Mino Raiola, the late Mino Raiola, was a was a very outspoken critic of any sort of attempt to regulate and uh, and create more that. sort of limitations. Yeah, I mean, the man who made thirty million or whatever it was off of Paul Pogba, shocker that he wanted uh, to remove any sort of limitation. Uh, so I think it will. Check things as we understand them, but I think it will also create new uh, avenues for income for agents.
1: On, on that note, Taylor, do you think that's a very interesting train of thought there? Do you think it will make contracts shorter? Do we think we'll see one and two year contracts because of agents wanting to re-up more often?
0: Possible. Yeah, I I think that would be a a way to do it, especially if you've got a young talent who you want to be able to sort of uh, engineer a a new deal or engineer a move that can much more readily happen when they're about to be a free agent. Uh, And even just those shorter deals, if it's a three year deal after that first season, I, I don't think any clubs love having only 12 months remaining on a contract. So if you do a three year deal after one season, if you have a breakout season, you've got two years left. That's where there's all the leverage for the agent to push for. Give us a new deal or 12 months from now, you're not getting any money for this player, you're getting very little money for this player. And 18 months from now, they can sign a deal and move elsewhere. So, or agree to a pre-contract, that is. So, I think yeah, we'll probably get some shorter shorter term deals uh that benefit the player theoretically, but the agent for sure. Sorry, Chelsea. Well, I'm
2: I'm, tr- I'm trying to do the math on this. Is it is that actually is that true, right? Is that going to really pay off for the agent? So, the number is what three percent right maximum three percent commission for any transfer above two hundred thousand dollars and five percent for deals under two hundred thousand dollars. so yeah. if you figure the the transfer fee, most of these big money moves are, are going to be a lot more than two hundred k, you know would it not still be more financially valuable for agents to snag three percent of a thirty million dollar transfer rather than like ten percent, which I think is sort of the standard agent number for salary right salary cuts than 10% of salary. I, I just am trying to figure out, You know, if, if you're doing a one or two year contract, theoretically, the transfer values are going to go down. right? The transfer fees are going to go down because the, the club is closer and closer to losing that player for free. So they're not really incentivized to just sell them. They might as well keep that, that player for longer and just run out the deal and let them move on a free and get as much value out of the current contract as they can. I'm not, I guess I'd have to do the math. I can't do it on the fly. I'm not smart enough for that. But I, I'm not so convinced that we'll see players give up that contract length and agents really want them to at the expense of just wanting to re-up for more salary. So I don't know. I got basically my, my answer to this question, Kenneth, it's a really good question is I'm not sure it's going to have that much of an impact. I think the big clubs are still going to sign the big players. They're still going to spend money. I totally agree with you, Graham. They're going to find creative ways to make that happen. Taylor, you were talking about stuff along those lines as well. I, I'm not sure this is really going to accomplish the transparent goal that I think it sets out to accomplish. I think we're yeah. going to get a lot of creative new mechanisms that clubs are using to make sure that they can get these deals done that could look like shorter contracts again I, I haven't done the math here but I'm I'm guessing it's just going to look like the money sort of being funneled other places yeah. either through salaries or through transfer fees or through you know any any other things you can think of
3: if if we were to get our hands on the top players books I think we'll see in years of transfers agents being paid a lot more in those years by by those players and then if someone was to drill down on why in that year they've received a lot more players would be like i don't know it's just a really good friend to me that year you know they'll just, they'll explain it away some way and and that's what i mean by a lack of transparency like yeah. previously it was all in the books in
0: the front of house and now it's going to be behind the player and we'll never know maybe maybe i'm cynical uh i am but like i i think there's there's so many instances, like the one I always go back to is Mario Balotelli calling Mino Raiola when his house was on fire, to be like, what do I do? He's like, call the fire department? <laughs> like, I, I do think, and that's an extreme example, <laughs> but I think... For a lot of these young players, here is this person who comes into your life, who has connections to everyone in the soccer world, who can get anybody on the phone, who has limitless contacts for anything you might need. Oh, you need delivery? I got you. You need clothes delivered? I got you. You need a barber to come in? I got you. It's this person who can kind of do everything for you. I think it's natural, especially if you're young you're going to trust that person because they are helping provide for you, they're helping you feel at home, they're helping you feel safe and comfortable. And I think there is a a strong working relationship there oftentimes between an agent and a player. I think there is a connection. I don't think that's just cynical self-representation on the agent's part. But I think that oftentimes agents have a lot more involvement and, if not control, than, I guess, influence in, in a player's decision-making. And I think mm. if you're a player who was on you know 20 a week and that seemed great but like you're driving uh the aforementioned toyota that graham uh dismissed and then you look over and all your teammates are driving you know uh, like uh, uh luxury vehicles or whatever it may be and then your agent comes along and says like, yeah, you know, well, you're only on this deal. And yeah, we just signed it last year. But if you want to get that, like, let's try to make it happen. I can see ways in which youngsters are going to say like, yeah, get me the best deal you can. And and in that way, I do think agents exert a ton of influence in those sort of decisions. I enjoyed, Taylor, um, that you mentioned the FIFA
1: Clearinghouse, which is a term I wasn't familiar with before today. Uh, we know FIFA, FIFA are famously Excellent at handling transactions, so I'm sure mm-hmm. that would be totally cool. Of um, it it just makes me think of. It sounds very Victorian. The, the FIFA clearinghouse. I'm I'm picturing little Victorian kids with soot on their faces saying, uh, "More, please. We want yeah. more for this oh, transaction." No,
0: the, yeah, that that's they have that in the garden at at the FIFA HQ, just so ah. you can see. You know, just a reminder of how far FIFA has come. Uh, meanwhile, I'm sure they have plans to like, colonize the moon and build stadiums up there. Uh, again, a lovely nonprofit organization. Mm. Uh, do, doing great work doing great work for the world community yep.
3: I, I guess we now know what they're doing with Giari Infantino's house in Doha it's now the FIFA clearinghouse of course
0: <laughs> of course <laughs> tax free wonderful yeah. clearinghouse house. I, lo- I love that a- agents are the ones who are corrupting the game and taking all the money not, not the president of FIFA yeah. getting a house in the country that's hosting the World Cup exactly. nothing suspicious about that at all FIFA's here to clear things up everybody relax good stuff
1: yeah, big sigh. Uh, Thank you, Kenneth, for that question. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, a
2: couple more listener questions back shortly. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player, and Kosi Tafare, never disappoints. Will Trapp over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high-quality suits that are designed to fit you. They are made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at indochin with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back, everybody. Zach Lippert has been in touch and says, what is the court of arbitration for sport? How did it start? Is it an actual court? Or do all sports teams just agree to abide by their rulings in order to avoid complete and utter anarchy? Um, Taylor, you are married to a member of the legal profession. Arbitration is quite a common thing in uh, mm-hmm. legal um, uh, disputes. I know certainly for uh, Wimbledon, when they were moved to the town whose name should not be mentioned, there was an FA court of arbitration, an FA arbitration panel, I should say, that was um, put together to corruptly, I mean, to um, correctly uh, make the decision of moving the club to uh, the city that shall not be named. So they are used basically to resolve conflict. But the court of arbitration for sport is at a bigger level than
0: that. You're talking about Milton Keynes, right? Milton Keynes—that's the one you're talking about. The land of roundabouts. Can anyone still hear Taylor? I think he's dropped. Anybody? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, international agency founded in 1984 to settle disputes relating to sport via arbitration. What is arbitration? I googled. Uh, it's basically mediation, uh, which is what I thought it was. But instead of where in mediation the two parties sort of control. <laughs> The events, they control a, a lot more of the outcome and who's involved, and I don't believe it is necessarily legally binding with arbitration. You have an independent arbiter who is also a judge. They can issue rulings, make decisions. They're in charge of the overall process and what they say goes. Uh, I believe you can appeal the decisions in the Court of Arbitration uh, for Sport like one level higher to a Swiss court, but that has only happened successfully once, I believe, and that related a lot to basically a player being – financially punished while the club was saying we're trying to like collect fees that were due they were putting limitations on the player such that they were never going to be able to pay it back they were never going to be able to play again so you get very extreme uh cases that can be appealed but for the most part this is a way that uh different sides can come together avoid court avoid avoid all of the kind of public back and forth that will happen if you go to court because arbitration can be conducted behind closed doors. Whereas, say, the Sheffield United West Ham incident from many years ago involving Carlos Tevez and Javier Mascherano, that goes into court, that spills out, that gets really ugly. It's very prolonged. This sort of allows you to to get things done quickly. And part of that is that you have, I think, with the Court of Arbitration for Sport, uh, three People on the panel. Each side gets to pick one person involved, so it is independent. But there is still sort of representation for for the two sides uh, when it comes to the decisions. So theoretically, it makes everybody happy and is a fair way to go about solving problems. Yeah, theoretically. And
1: and Graham, it just seems to be a way in many instances for clubs or bodies. To have their bans or their their uh, fines lowered, uh, Michelle Platini <laughs> was banned by f- from soccer activity for six years. Cass lowered it to four years. Man City went through Cass at Court of Arbitration for Sport uh, during their when they were banned from the Champions League as well. And you know, uh, Cass Cass are like the um, the parent who comes in, steps in to offer some compromise in the conflict.
3: Yeah, I actually think the punishments that are handed out kind of account for that as well. So a lot of a lot of times the punishment handed out by a league, whether it's a points deduction like uh the the one that Serie A has recently handed to Juventus, what is it, a sixteen point deduction that they've had this season? Juventus I think are expected to take that to Cass or or maybe have even opened their case with, with Cass already. And so I have to believe that, because 16 points does seem quite severe, particularly when you compare it to, you know, Calchopoli and some of the punishments that are handed out there. It feels to me like a lot of these leagues and bodies take that into, it's part of the equation that they're going to go to cast, they're going to lower it. And so somewhere in, in the middle is where you end up. Yeah. So I, my research, I found very much the same uh, stuff as Taylor. As far as I'm aware, cast isn't a, a course, a court in, in like the truest sense, although it can then go to the Swiss supreme court um because a lot of these issues aren't necessarily related to the law and in, and in cases which in sport are related to the law so for example match fixing is obviously illegal for obvious reasons it's, a, it's an issue that goes beyond kind of a sporting issue In in italy with calciopoli there was a, a sporting investigation involving the italian fa in Serie A, but there's also a criminal investigation i, I believe people went to prison for 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 that and that wasn't related to cast or anything like that i think the bosman ruling as well was um european court of justice so that was you know related to workers rights and it was more than a sporting issue so there are different routes for 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 teams and clubs and organizations to go down but cast tends to be when it's something sporting that doesn't really have any context in the in the wider world i guess
1: very nice. Um, yeah, the headquarters in Lausanne, Switzerland, Joe. I don't know if you've seen the building. It looks very glamorous, like a like a French um, king in the 1700s would live there. <laughs> very nice indeed. But I can't imagine a more rock and roll organization to be involved in than than Cass, right, Joe? Sounds sounds very sexy.
2: Yeah, I think we know what Ryan's next calling is. Uh, it does. The house does look cool. There's, according to Wikipedia, oh, at least, does. there's a nice little pond in the front. Uh-huh. So I don't know. Maybe there's something to be said for that. Some statues around it as it's well. Like so West Bretcherton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kinda. The only, the only other bit of info I have here that I don't think we've gotten to is the origin of CAS. Maybe that was hit on I, and I missed it. Doesn't seem like it was because nobody said anything. So, uh, it was, it was founded in, in 1984, basically as it, it had incredibly close ties to the International Olympic Committee. So it was created to deal with disputes arising during the Olympics, which makes sense because there's a, bunch of international folks coming together and that's international and sports combined so there's there's a lot of logic there and then apparently there was a case about a decade after that that uh, was somehow tied to the olympics as well that then was appealed to taylor that court you mentioned i think it's the federal supreme court in switzerland and basically part of that appeal was challenging cass's impartiality like maybe they had some bias because they were tied to the olympics and the IOC. So then after that, they took steps essentially to distance themselves from Olympics specifically. And I think that's maybe when you start getting cases from other sports. Soccer really, uh, maybe oftentimes being chief among them because it is it is the world's game, Ryan Bailey. It is the world's game. Mm.
0: Uh, and then I think it's Article 57 of the FIFA statutes is the thing that recognizes cast to resolve disputes between FIFA member associations, confederations, leagues, clubs, players, officials, intermediaries, and licensed match agents. I'm sure plenty of agents will be appealing uh, FIFA decisions regarding their commissions uh, in the very near future. It does seem like a lot of it is is doping. Uh, the the cast became, I think, the arbiter for, uh, you've been doping. No, I haven't. Well, let's go like have an arbiter decide who's been doing what. Uh, and then I think there are other sort of labor negotiations along the way as well. Wonderful. And thank you for reading Article 57 off the top of your head and not off of notes or anything. That was quite impressive recall, Taylor. Well done. Yeah. Y- yeah. You guys don't have the FIFA statutes memorized? I've got a tattoo of it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so I guess, no, you don't. You have a tattoo no, I on you. So, I need, to, re- so, I mean, I need you know. to often reference my tattoo. Yeah. Yep. Article 45, no dogs on the pitch.
1: <laughs> what? For real?
0: Nah, I made that up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, yeah, that's at least in the 30s, that one, for sure. It's more important. <laughs> uh, Zach, thank you very much for the question there. Let's go for one more question from Drew Gola, who says, My brother is an EPL fan, I'm an MLS fan, and we both have opinions about the other's league of choice. However, he was in an accident that almost killed him. I want to support an EPL club so we have something to connect over and talk about, but I don't know which team to back. So uh, help this hopeful mid-season acquisition find a club. As a union supporter, says Drew, I'd love a team with good Philly vibes. The more homegrown and scrappy, the better. Thanks and much love, says Drew. Joe, where should we start here? What, what do we, uh, how do we describe Philly vibes for a start?
2: First of all, I love this question from Drew. I'm I'm super happy that you wrote in to ask because I think this is an awesome idea, and I, I hope that we give you something that works out for you and that that you guys can connect and, and really enjoy that time. So my answer is Leeds United. I think uh, I kind of think Leeds. this is just the right answer. I don't know. <laughs> it would have been better when Jesse Marshall still there, but Chris Armas is still there, so you have the American tie on the coaching side. It seems like he's never going to leave at this point as the assistant because Leeds still don't know who on earth they're going to hire as their next manager. I think I said when Marshall was fired, oh. I'm sure Leeds have their candidates on a whiteboard that, that Jesse Marsh has just sort of not been allowed to look at while he's been struggling with this club. And, uh, it seems like that, that maybe wasn't so true at this point. So there is a lot of question marks. There are a lot of question marks around Leeds and they may well get relegated, Drew. And I apologize if they do, but the biggest tie I can give you here is Brendan Aronson, who was a Philly guy. Philly, mm-hmm. uh, well, not a Philly guy, but he played for the Philadelphia Union. He's from New Jersey, but played for the Union, was a, a really important player for them, then goes off to uh, Europe, and now is in the Premier League with Leeds United. He's uh, he's he's still getting real minutes for Leeds, even as they're struggling to avoid relegation. And then you also have the style, right? If we're talking about Philly vibes, a little bit scrappy, a little bit pressy, at least in terms of the team, I think you can apply parts of that to the city too, right? Leeds play that way. Even though Jesse Marsh is gone, I've I've watched all of their games since then, and they are still aggressive. Maybe they're dropping their line of confrontation a little bit deeper. I mostly think that's just because they played Manchester United twice recently, and so when you play Mm -hmm. Manchester United, you're probably going to be a little bit more defensive. But they're still pressing. They're still attacking in transition. If you squint and sort of maybe even close one eye all the way, you could be forgiven for thinking it was the Union in like a white-slash-gold jersey. I, I think Leeds United is the way to go here.
1: Yeah, that that was exactly my first thought as soon as the words feely vibes passed my lips. I don't know how they are for climbing lampposts in Yorkshire, (laughs) but uh, I'm sure they are adept at it. Um, Graham, where did you land with this one?
3: So my first thought was Newcastle United in in terms of the character of the club and maybe the character of the city as well and, and the way that Newcastle fans have a a bit of a chip on their shoulder in a sort of lovable way and the way their fans create such a great atmosphere and the city is all about sport. So I think there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of overlap with Philly there, but then there's the whole richest club in the world thing and then that doesn't really fit. So with that in mind... I landed on Crystal Palace, right? So let me walk through my logic here. They have a team full of, of maybe not homegrown players, but young, a lot of young English players in that team who are exciting and technically able. And they have a modern manager who plays a style with some Red Bull elements. I mean, Patrick Vieira, I think, I find it difficult to kind of pin down his trademark style. Um, he tends to adapt depending on the match. But we have seen Crystal Palace press high and be quite Red in how they play. Crystal Palace have very passionate fans. Selhurst Park has one of the best atmospheres in the Premier League. Um, but then Palace as a club sort of have those those scrappy vibes where, and the team on the pitch right now as well where they won't back down from a fight. They have Patrick Vieira as their manager, for goodness sake, the only man to have ever squared up to Roy Keane and survived. And finally, can someone tell me what Crystal Palace's nickname is as a club? Eagles! Indeed, Fellivai, oh, right there for you. That's e- good. G L E S. I like that. That's very
1: good, Graham. And also, they're basically FC Richmond, so there's another tie to uh, to TV, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Uh, Taylor, where did, what do you think about this one? I think Graham has done some great work there. The only issue is that Palace play in London. Uh, which is like the equivalent of New York, I feel like. And I don't know if a Philly fan can truly embrace uh, like rooting for a team that's like London, New York sort of thing.
1: I'll I'll say they play in Southeast London, Croydon area, which is outskirts of London at best. I would say that's, you know, you, you can get the train from Philly to New York. It's kind of a...
3: Yeah, Philly Fel- is a suburb of New York, is Yeah, isn't it? Basically. basically. right? <laughs> sorry, sorry. do not reflect the thoughts of sorry, mean, mean, the, thoughts of the know, I'm aware of just, just,
2: and Joseph <laughs> go ahead and just Cancel those live
0: show in Philly plans. All right, that's done.
1: <laughs> I just um, meant it could, it could be viewed as a satellite outside of London, arguably, is what I was getting at, Taylor.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, no, <laughs> you weren't the offensive one there. Graham was the offensive one. Uh, the only other one I had was, like, if you really want to get in on the relative g- ground floor... I'm going Burnley. I got top of the championship, eight points ahead uh, with one more game than Sheffield. But I think there's an 18-point gap uh, after that. So they're definitely coming back to the Premier League. You've got Vincent Kompany as manager. Most goals scored, second fewest allowed. Uh, they're going up, but they're, they're not going to be the most glamorous team. No one's really going to believe in them. Uh, you can have a few drinks and go watch them play, and then you can feel right at home. So uh, I would say Burnley, but I think Palace is a great shout, uh, Graham. That's probably the, the smartest, safest bet.
2: Mm. Vincent Company 300% could have been a fullback for the Philadelphia Eagles for like the last decade so there's another potential Philly tie that didn't really exist and is not a Philly tie but I think should be
1: yeah would he be good at holding too soon no too soon sorry um
2: let's the uh, correct that was so that was so that was so awful like <laughs> like it took me a minute to get it ryan you were so proud of yourself that you made a super bowl reference but it was so like oh. it, it was so i can't really articulate why that that was so awful to me but i, I did kind of labor yeah with a bit more time i could
1: have done better with that i admit, I admit that. but uh, drew i think we're missing the true answer to this your brother is an epl fan you want to connect with him follow the tv follows. we haven't said what it is Maybe that's the answer, right? I don't know. Maybe maybe he follows Palace. That would be a...
3: Maybe his brother's Rob, Ro- Rob Lowe and just wears a Premier League hat while watching games.
1: This is true. This is true. Oh, maybe he's a general EPL fan. That's very true. All right. Well, I think uh, Palace leads um, all, all good suggestions. What
0: was yours, Taylor? Remind me. Uh, I had Leeds as my number one. Burnley as yep. my number two. But I'm Perfect. now going to steal Gramps and say uh, Crystal Palace was mine from the beginning. There we go. <laughs> Excellent. We have reached consensus
1: once again. Wonderful stuff. Thank you very much, uh, listener, for joining us in this one. We'll be having a bonus listener question in our Patreon. Mm. Do join us for that. It's a very good question. Just saying. But for now, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much, my good man. Thank you, my friend. Graham Rutherland, pleasure as always, sir.
3: Thank you, Ryan Bailey.
1: And Joe Lowry, I'll work on my Super Bowl patter, but thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, you got it, Ryan. (laughs) Listen, thank you again for joining us. We'll be back on the feed shortly, but for now. Bye!